Super Talk Mississippi media production. State Treasurer David McRae has put millions back into the hands of Mississippi citizens, expanding the state's affordable college and career savings program and also returning record amounts of unclaimed money. Check out how Treasurer David McRae's office can help you, your business, or your organization. Treasury.ms.gov. I'm Steve Azar, and I'm on the other side of the microphone, meaning I'm asking the questions this time, and oh, have mercy for the airwaves. I spent 20 years in Music City, wrote and made some hits, traveled the world, and then moved my family back to the birthplace of American music and where the magnolia trees prosper. And now every time I put my feet on Mississippi soil, when I'm off the road, well, I'm at peace. On this show, it's all about hearing the stories straight from the mouths of the friends I've made along the way, their journey to success. Heck, there might be someone on, I don't even know, but you know how us Mississippi types are. We tend to take well to new company. In a Mississippi minute, all 60 of them. I'm Steve Azar. It's just like that muddy river moving slow. Ain't no worries, it's how life goes. In a Mississippi Minute. That's right. Today on In a Mississippi Minute is a lady with golf, tennis, and sport wisdom way beyond mine. I can tell you that. We've done many charity events together. She has got the heart of giving. I can tell you that. Around the globe. I mean, we've been everywhere. Uh, in Virgin Islands together and beyond. Uh, she's a lot better in interviewing someone than I am. Although I'm starting to get the hang of it, I think. An original member of the Goff Channel family where she hosted her own show. I want you to say hey, hey, hey to author, reporter, philanthropist, and producer, the fabulous Ann Ligori. Hello, Ann. Wow, Steve. It's an honor to be talking with you. You're one of my favorite people in the whole wide world. Uh, and I'm just thrilled that we can uh, have a, a good conversation here, I hope. <laughs> well, you're going to carry me, so I, I'm not worried. I'm, I'm, you know, when I interview a lot of my musician friends, or sometimes I know you interview, when you're interviewing sport, you know, at athletes and all that, they can uh, go, go array on you a little bit. And so I know that I've got, I'm covered today. I'm so excited about that. In fact, I'm, I know this interview may switch, and I'm, I'm prepared for you just in case anyway <laughs> so uh where I don't are you mind being on the other side i always ask the questions so i, I can answer some too <laughs> i know i know i know i love it well this has been this has been a trip for me and i'm, I'm kind of in some kind of crazy way really enjoying it so uh my team at super talk's been great okay so ann where are you right now right now i am in my home in west hampton new york having just completed covering the u.s open at shinnecock which was a, a home game for me which Wow. So let's just jump right okay. into your take. Obviously, Brando Chambly and uh, uh, Nablo, Frank Nablo, they're all worked up a little bit, David Duvall. Uh, let's, let's break in. I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about Phil because I love Phil Mickelson. And, and we both know as golfers that we could be – that there's no limit. Well, there is a limit, and at some point we break, right? Everybody. Just the your take on sort of where he was in his head and just uh, – and he handled it sort of really cool, but but how the golfing community a little bit beaten on him a little bit. What was your take on on when Phil, uh, you know, the ball was on the move and and he just decided right. to heck with it? Well, first of all, let me say I love Phil too. I had just seen him at a Rolex party at this sprawling mansion on the ocean in Southampton, and we he always gives time to say hello if he meets somebody new. He will never forget that person's name. Wow. And he makes it a point when he's in a press conference, if somebody asks him a question in the media, 
it, you know, he'll he'll call that person by their first name. I mean, he really makes the point to get to know everybody. You know, he's just such a there's such he has so many great points to his personality, right? Right. But I have to tell you, Steve, as much as I like Phil Mickelson, what he did at the U.S. Open on Saturday, on that Saturday on the 13th green to me was really disgraceful. I have to say, I mean, yes, he lost his head. He just basically. We've all been there, so frustrated. The sport just drives everybody crazy, especially if you know, particularly if you're a professional and a five-time major champion. But you can't do that, particularly if you're Phil Mickelson. You cannot do that. I don't care if you're out of contention. I don't care if you're in contention. What he did was completely unacceptable, in my opinion. And then to make matters worse for himself. He basically, you know, said he did it on purpose that he wanted to take full advantage of, of, the, rule, of right? the the rules and, you know, expect a two stroke penalty. But then when he when he told everybody to all his critics to in quote, toughen up, that kind of was the last straw. So I really take great exception in, in what he did and I think, you know, most golfers um who saw it and, and know the whole story I know there's debate on both sides, right? But I just don't know how anybody can can give him a pass on that, unfortunately. Right. Well, so in my and you know, I was like, wait, what just happened? <laughs> you know, I've never. But with that said, I feel like that he was there to win it, and when it, the course got out of hand, so let's talk about that. I, you know, distinctly remember looking at the forecast, which we all get in the media room, as as clear as day. And saying on the air that that Saturday morning, you know, winds are expected to pick up in the afternoon, you know, up to 20, 25 miles an hour. So, and at Shinnecock, you know, you, you the wind that you get at 8 in the morning is different than the wind that you get at noon, which is different than the wind that you get at 4. So they all know that the winds can get not only strong, but ver- it can vary throughout the day. So for Mike Davis, the CEO of the USGA... Um, to say that they, you know, they weren't expecting those kinds of wins. It's, it's their bad. At least he admitted that it was their bad. Yeah, he did that. However, how can you not, as you say, with all the technology, how can you not expect those kind of wins? Now, I think where they also erred is that the whole locations were absurd. They were on the edge of uh, the majority of the greens, like two feet, three feet away from from the edge of a green so they really really went overboard in trying to make the golf course play too difficult um on you know on saturday to start the weekend and then they were completely they said they sounded like they were completely shocked about the win but they really should have known better well and and uh, so so brooks kepka who wins his back-to-back he still played in that afternoon and he was couple over right so he he you can't say he didn't play that he was the later pairing right that's right. So he That's survived right. it. He was the one that survived it. How, what elevates a guy like Kepka? You know, there's certain players that you just see all the time in the hunt in a big tournament. What do you think? Do you, do you think they're bored during the regular year and they just can't get themselves up? Or, or what separates that player? It's a very good question. Um, I think, obviously, the champions really play for the major championships. So that's what they basically schedule their entire uh, you know year around to really right. peak, and not to say that they all will, but that's you know their training, their preparation, 
Um, and Brooks, you know, he's just, he's strong. And so um, they work, he and DJ, they work out together almost every morning, you know, when they're at the same tournaments. They, they focus. They pretty much, they're, and they're really great friends. They pretty much have similar demeanors, too, where they just kind of stay out of all the politics and all the mm-hmm. off-the-course distractions, and they just stay focused and, and, and at the task at hand, which I think is, is quite admirable. But, yeah, they all basically, you know, it's, it's a grind, the tour, week after week after week. And, um, but, you know, they all really prepare mentally and physically for those major championships because when it, when it all comes down to, you know, a player's legacy, you know, that's what it comes down to. How many majors right. have, have these great players won? Well, if, if, if Tiger, so he's had this great, he's had a great run this year on weekends. So if he makes the cut and he plays early that day, and all of a sudden he shoots four or five, six under. He's right there because obviously everybody came back. So and DJ came back. So I mean, I mean, obviously for TV it's amazing and and all that. Uh, my only question is, how can he? Don't you think Tiger? I'm, I'm jumping because I just wish, obviously, like like the networks wish that he would have made the cut and he'd have had that Saturday he's been having. But how can he expect to? deliver on that day and we're talking about a champion's heart and 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 get up for those events when he's not really playing so he's playing every blue moon i mean don't you think he needs a few in a row under his belt and just to sort of get into the rhythm otherwise it's like this is my one shot i've got to deliver i'm gonna be off again a month i mean how don't you think as a golfer that that that, that's and i know he's dealing with his back and 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 probably taking his time, but is it? The, do you know of? Is there going to be a point when he goes? I am playing back to back to back, or I'm going to play four times in the next six weeks. I mean, have you heard anything like that at all? You know, no, because I think he is still, even though he won't talk about it, um, he is still probably concerned about overplaying and becoming stiff and and maybe re-injuring. You know, for the first time in years, he's playing with no pain. Now, nobody knows if he had any, you know, pain after two rounds at Shinnecock, which, you know, is pretty strenuous. But um, I think he's really just trying to be careful. I know they've all kind of cut down on practice. I mean, um, you know, he's just really, really so, so elated to be back physically. And it's it's really transformed his entire personality, as as I'm sure you've noticed. Yes. He's so happy for the most part. He's so much more media friendly, much more fan friendly. I mean, he's, I think he's just so happy that he's had this second lease on, on his career and has a chance to perhaps go out and, and be great again. Right. But, right. Um, you know, he has to put together, as you say, four great rounds. And if you don't go out there and, and play and put in that time um, on various course conditions, because he practices a lot, in, in his backyard in Florida, right. with on you know with different grass surfaces, with the I have a pond in my backyard, and it wouldn't be you know the balls. I do I do hit I do hit balls <laughs> in the pond, uh, but I'm not going to get them because there are little creatures uh, that are slimy and long and slippery. <laughs> I'm talking to the great Ann Lagoya. Those gators, man. Yeah. Oh no, we don't have those. Well, some they're at least at least I'm gonna knock on some wood. They're not hanging out in my pond. We're talking to Arthur, reporter, philanthropist, producer, incredible analyst, Ann Lagoria. You're in a Mississippi minute. We'll be right back.
Head to Head with Matt Wyatt and Richard Cross. Number one, number one. For the very best in sports. Weekday afternoons, 3 to 6, on Super Talk Mississippi. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. I'm Steve Azar. You're in a Mississippi Minute. All 60 of them, because that's how we ride and we roll. Uh, Ann Lagoria is my guest. Ann Lagoria. Ann Lagoria. It's like Steve saying Steve Azar. I've been actually, Ann, I've been announced before at Michigan Motor Speedway uh, uh, on national TV with my phone on vibrate in my back pocket, which is a big mistake, as now singing America's song, Estev Azare. And uh, you have a, a name that could be confused here and there, especially growing up, probably a heck of an athlete growing up. I could only see it on the basketball court, how they would announce your name. or They, they never got my name right. And it's so funny that, uh, that uh, it took me a minute to understand what your name, how your name was pronounced. But I think I got it now. Oh, really? <laughs> Ligori and Ligori. Oh, so it's Ligori. Well, yes, you know, Ligori, Ligori. Yeah. Um, See? I, the, the Italians, the true Italians say Ligori. <laughs> That's right. So that, and I but realize that. Say, I say Anne Ligori. Okay, uh, yeah, okay, good, good, good. I, after all these years, I didn't want to screw that up. I'm capable of screwing at least one or two things up on an interview, uh, and, hey, I, and, I, and I'm duly noted. are we all, baby? Yeah. You're doing a great job. Okay. It's, you're well, so conversational. I just love the way <laughs> it's just you. You're just so... You're, you're you're so great at it. It's so natural for you, really. Well, don't tell anybody. I love this I can't do a third day a week. I can't. I just can't. Reruns, but but the third day would kill me. All right, so, <laughs> I pre, I, so Ann, let's talk about growing up. I want to know at what point. Uh, tell me about you growing up as an athlete because you're a heck of an athlete. So what sports did you play as a, as a, as a high school kid and, and excel in? Um for some reason, I could see you playing point guard or shooting guard, but I could be wrong. That's fun. Um, actually, basketball wasn't my greatest sport. I did play, but um, you know, I had an older brother. Uh, may he rest in peace. I lo- we lost him oh. to leukemia when he was only twenty-two. But oh, when we were kids, he was only a year older than me, and so mm. I everything Jim did, uh, you know, athletically, I had to do. You know, we were just close like that. We had a big backyard. I grew up in Brexville, Ohio. We had a big backyard, so we were the yard where all the kids would come to after school, and we'd, you know, we'd play everything from baseball to football to kickball, and and I was a, a real tomboy, and I was a good athlete back then, so I would be often the, one of the first ones picked because I could run so fast. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, I I, I love sports, and I ended up lettering. Um, I participated in four sports a year for four years. And you know, got sixteen varsity letters. Wow! And I don't Busy. know how that's possible now because I think they have rules against this. But in the spring, I would play tennis on the boys' team because we didn't have a girls' team at the time. And then the days that there would be a girls' track uh, meet the same day, I would play my match, in, you know, with tennis, and I'd run go over to the girls' track um, meet in the same and I'd day, do a hundred yard dash and the long jump, whatever <laughs> event they could put me in that coincided with what time I got there. <laughs> so, um, but it was fun. I mean, playing on the boys' team, that taught me a lot, Steve. It taught me how to, you know, compete with and against guys. And, I mean, it was it was tough, but um, I think it was tougher for the guys than it was for me. But I really, and my brother was, um, you know, number one singles when he was a senior. Um, and I was, uh, so I, you know, I played 
surprised like nobody complained. What's this girl doing on this team? But back then, uh, because we didn't have a girls team, they I guess they couldn't hmm. do anything about it. I was I had to been they had to let me play in the We're talking to Anna Ligori. I'm Steve Azar, you're in the Mississippi minute. And uh I'm I'm so thrilled to have Ann on the show. Tennis your number one sport or track? Yeah, back then, Steve, it was. I, I loved tennis. I played all these sports. I never played golf in when I was a kid, only years after I, you know, well, actually, I started playing golf when I had the show. I had a primetime show on the Golf Channel right. called Conversation with Anne Gore totally in the early it. days. But yeah. I wish I would have played golf when I was a kid, but I never did. So tennis is really my year-round sport. I grew up in Cleveland, a lot of you know, bad weather in the wintertime, so I'd spend all weekend long at an indoor tennis club playing tennis and loved it, and my parents would drive me all over the, you know, the right. Midwest to play in these, you know, regional golf tournaments and played a lot of junior tournaments growing up. So, um, yeah, so I came, I went to school on an ac- academic scholarship, University of South Florida in Tampa. I think I just wanted to get out of the snowy Cleveland area and love Florida, and um, walked on the tennis team. I was not recruited. Right, right. Variety of sports, but I wasn't. We weren't too savvy as to, you know, how to really go about getting a an athletic scholarship back then. There weren't that many athletic scholarships for girls back then. And, yeah, well, you could have gone on the men's the team. You were so used to it, you just could have just got a men's scholarship. That's what <laughs> I. I'm the coach. You know, I just, I my parents, they they were both professors, so. They really stressed academics, so I was happy to get an academic scholarship. And I did walk on the the, the women's tennis team at USF the first year, but it, you know, I realized that was a full time job, and I was really more interested in becoming a broadcaster. And I knew exactly what I, what I wanted to do since I was three years old, and so I basically just played that one year for the, the USF women's team, and and then I just realized I really wanted to focus on. Uh, my sports broadcasting major. Okay, let's talk about sports broadcasting major. South Florida had a, a, a good program? Yeah, broadcast journalism, very good program. What I liked about it most was it, it was in a really good-sized market, Tampa, Florida, and I could get internships at the NBC affiliate. Um, it was in the early days of cable, so I put my own TV show together on uh, the cable systems down there, cable stations down there, and you know, I was on the school radio station, and there was a woman who, her name's Gail Siren, and she was a sports anchor on the NBC affiliate down there when I was going to school. And so, and that was very rare to see a woman doing sports on TV, but here she was in Tampa, and I could watch her on TV every day. So she was a great role model for me when I was in college, because I thought, well, if she can do it, maybe, you know, there are more opportunities for women. So. And then she went on to uh, be the first woman to do play-by-play of an NFL football game. Wow. She only did a few of them because she wanted to stay in Tampa with her, you know, and right. continue being with her family and doing what she's doing. But, it's, you know, that was a big influence back it's then. It's also nice to see someone successful and, and do things that hadn't really been done before. You have to realize this was 19, this was the early 80s, right? Yeah. Late 70s, early 80s. Women were not doing sports on TV. I know Certainly this. not on radio. And I went out out of college. I earned a fellowship with the International Radio and TV Society, which brought me right to Manhattan. And boy, I came to New York City, the most expensive city in the country, right out of college. Well, you know, no family was here. My my father had just passed away, 
from stomach cancer mm. a year before that. My brother got leukemia and died oh, the, the week I basically was in New York City. I remember going back to Cleveland and he was in the hospital and I, I was devastated, obviously. Course, and I yeah. said, Jim, I do not want to go back to New York. I'm going to stay here with you. And he looked me in the eyes and he said, Ann, you go back to New York and you follow your dream. I think hanging out in that backyard and being one of the first ones chosen, hanging out with the guys, being on the men's tennis team and doing all this stuff allowed you to believe in the dream and not even worry about it. So you're going to compete with men in the early 80s, mid 80s, you know, for for airspace and and to compete. So I think that just looking back and everything you've said, I think that was the most important part of your life to be able to to continue and how you've how you've arrived that's very insightful steve because that's exactly it i learned when i was a kid what it was like to compete with guys and to me it's no it's it wasn't a big deal like you know when i play in these golf events you know whether they're pro-ams or celebrity tournaments or charity tournaments and i'm playing with mostly men that's not a big deal to me you know no. because no and i love it you know i know you and, love it um, i love it it was such great training when i was young because you know, in my business, in my broadcasting profession, you know, I, I'm, you know, like you, you knock down doors to bring in sponsors and and to get the financing for various television and radio series and, and, and projects. And, and so I'm in, I'm, you know, when I first came to New York, I wanted to do a TV show, an MSG, a sports show, sports interview show. And MSG Network said, Ann, we love your work. We have, we can give you a slot on MSG Network every week, but we cannot pay you. Oh, and I was in my early 20s, and I'm <laughs> right. thinking, okay, I you, think I you can don't make need this money. work. <laughs> money for what? And you said you think it could make it work. I thought, I figured, well, how am I going to do this? So with no sales training whatsoever, I started knocking down doors on Madison Avenue, going <laughs> to all the advertising executives, and bringing in, you know, trying to get them to sponsor my show. And honestly, that training as an athlete was so helpful because I went at it, with a lot of uh, confidence right. and a lot of belief in myself. And, you know, for every 30 people I might have been able to get meetings with, maybe one would succeed and come in as a sponsor. But it didn't, you know, you had the persistence that you learn as an athlete. You have the, the drive. You have the motivation. You have the discipline. You have the focus. And all those elements that you develop as an athlete. Really well, help me no. in everything I'm doing. Now I've got this song called "You Don't Know a Thing" that I live for, still playing that I wrote years ago, um, and that it talks about ain't nothing this worth winning if losing's not involved. We're with Ann Lagori, and you get to play DJ right now before going to the break. Mississippi is the birthplace of American music. You have been here multiple times. You've experienced a feeling of art. So take us into the break with either Mose Allison or Dorothy Moore. Uh, let's go with Mose. All right, you got it. We're, go we're with Ann Lagori. I'm Steve Azar. You're in the Mississippi Minute. Stand by. I ain't got nothing but the blues. No other news team covers the Magnolia State like News Mississippi. On air with reports every hour and breaking news as it happens. News Mississippi at newsms.fm. The official news provider for Super Talk Mississippi. 
In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. I'm Steve Azar. We're rolling through all 60 Mississippi Minutes. You're in a Mississippi Minute, if you didn't know. Uh, and we're with Ann Ligori, incredible broadcaster, philanthropist, a producer, a girl that did it her way, that fought through the muck of men running the sport and, and getting to have the microphone time like I've got right now. So I apologize. So, so Ann, talk about, I want to talk about your philanthropy and, and your foundation and your event that you do every year that I have not made yet that I, it kills me because, you know, we've had kids growing up and, uh, and our, old, our baby is about to graduate next year. So we're not gonna have a lot of excuses anymore and we'll be racing to you. But, but Tell me about your recent event. You had a big auction, as always. You and Bubba Watson were able to do an event together right before the U.S. Open? Yeah. Well, first of all, the Allegory Foundation Charity Golf Classic, we had our 20th annual golf charity uh, tournament. And um, we do it in Hampton on the East End Long Island. And we're blessed with, this is like golf paradise out here. It is just, just so many great golf courses, Shinnecock and Maidstone and Friars Head and Saponic and Fisher's Island. and Anything uh, like the Greenville Golf and Country Club, Club? just FY? Not, okay. I love Exactly. <laughs> I love Listen, I love it. It's just that makes the tournament. But uh, And you, of course, and all your buddies. But, um, you yeah, know, it's just um, we raise money for cancer research and cancer prevention. And um, your buddies, Grant and Lisa Fur came up. Yep. They had so much fun, and Gary Valentine, who's back here on the Jackie, island. They were Jackie, all there. were all there. They were love. They were posting pictures left and right, and I was like, man. I and you and uh, I wish you and Gwen could have come up, but I know we'll get you up there. But the U.S. Open trophy was here. It was on tour because the U.S. Open was literally just one week after, and just having that traditional. Uh, historic trophy in the clubhouse at Atlantic Golf Club in Bridgehampton where we did our tournament this year was so special. Everybody had a great time taking pictures and yeah, we raised a lot of money and it was awesome. And then as you mentioned, Bubba, I did a cover story for Bubba on Bubba Watson um, for Hamptons Magazine. And then he uh, did an event the Sunday of U.S. Open Week. So um, Bubba, I love We all love Bubba. It's just, we love Bubba. He, he's just a little socially awkward, but you know, he means well and he's just uh, a great guy. He told me that last year was the darkest year of his life. Yeah. He had health issues. He wasn't making cuts. They finally figured out what was wrong. Playing a yellow, pink, orange ball, all that. Exactly. Pink driver. <laughs> he just basically came back, and now he's having a decent year. And um, But, yeah. you know, Bubba was great. But Bubba on the cover of Hamptons Magazine. What is wrong with that picture? I think it's fantastic. <laughs> and, you know, Bubba was my Bob Hope partner once. Uh, and, you know, during yeah, that spell. Yeah, same with me. Oh, so I love it. And, and listen, I, I had the best time. So we get through, and he goes, Steve, uh, tonight we're going to go – we're going to go play. So his wife was participating because she was a WNBA player, right? Um, right. And Caddy, Teddy, and Teddy is Caddy. Right. So we're there, and he goes, we're going to go. we got to go go get one club, and we're going to go to the – last night we did it. We, you go to the par three. Last night they cut the lights off on us, but we didn't care. We kept playing, and we're going we're gonna to duel it out, but you can only have one club. And I said, Bubba, I got to go. It was Kurt Russell and Goldie Hawns that night that they did that thing at their house, right? And uh, or, yeah. or wherever we did it, it was their night. 
and we're we're obligated, right? You are you are obligated. We're all obligated to go uh, to these events because they're bringing you in. So we have to. And and he just couldn't understand the fact that I was going to go do that rather than go then go play the par three with him that night. And I love that about him. And he 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 just talked about his passion for playing golf rather than practicing. And you know that's where he's socially not awkward i mean like he that's where it's home i mean it's like for me sometimes everybody goes oh you're great with people but i'm not great in crowds i'm really really comfortable in front of them uh and maybe i don't know what that is but i've never been a fan of being in like a crowded area and when when i see crowds in front of me i go man what's wrong with you people you know like aren't you feeling a little claustrophobic but definitely i feel the same way but he's comfortable on the course that's where he's and i know he went through health issues but he's a great i I mean when you play four and a half well six hours with him i played six hours with him and it was one of the best times i've had played so many rounds with with daily and my buddy jim gallagher jr and a lot of rounds with those guys and and uh, it was equally as uh as wonderful you know they're all so different i think you were at the same bob hope that i was at when i had bubba the second day it was 2011. It was the last year that it was actually called the Bob Hope Classic. I was there the last and year. Yep. That was the same year. So you, isn't that crazy? You had Bubba the same year that I had him. Bruce Jenner and then was a year there. Later, what's that? Bruce was there. Bruce Jenner was there. He was still a man on the golf on the putting green. I remember <laughs> very clearly. <laughs> oh my gosh, I love that. But a year <laughs> later, Bubba won his first Masters. So Anne, let's keep talking about your foundation. Obviously, you talk cancer. Obviously, you were affected by by the loss of your brother at such a young age, Jim. And my dad. Yeah. And your okay, and your dad. That's right. So yeah. obviously, no brainer for you to go. I want to help tackle tackle this problem, and and this disease, right? Right, right. Yeah, I mean, you know, twenty years ago, the American Cancer Society came up to me and asked me if I would host a golf event at West Hampton Country Club, which is literally in the same town that I live in, and that was a no brainer. And I said, yeah. Had I known back then that 20 years later, you know, I'd had put my own foundation together and be able to really help uh, numerous organizations that deal with um, fighting cancer and researching different kinds of cancers and, and, and educating people about good nutrition and the importance of regular exercise, which is what we do. We, we send nutritionists into uh, public schools out here to do that. So I would never in my wildest dreams have thought that it would be going on for 20 straight years. But like you, I mean, I just feel like we're in a position where we have a lot of influence and we can give back. We have no and, choice. Um, we have to. We, we have, have no to. Choice, right. We, we owe we it. We have to. We owe it. Now, let me ask you this. So, That's right. So uh, do you have your own programs within? Sounds like you do. Or are you going to are you supporting programs uh, with the money you raise? Right. We support a number of programs. We support, you know, St. Jude's, which Love it. everybody knows about yeah. St. Jude's and yeah. the great work that they do. We support um, a camp out here on Shelter Island called Kids Need More. And it's a camp that uh, takes place every August for young people who have cancer. And we go to the camp and just to see the smiles on their faces, you know, as they're enjoying all kinds of normal camp activities that, you know, most kids and us take for granted. These children, you know, are undergoing chemo, and many of them even don't even make it till the next year, which mm. is so sad to think about. But, you know, right. those are the kinds of programs we support. And then, you know, hiring nutritionists to go into some of these public schools to really teach young people about the importance of 
good nutrition and just leading healthy lifestyles. So being proactive, right? Being proactive exactly. rather than reactive, right? You're trying to be exactly. a part of the solution. I love, I love, I love that. I just love it, and that is what life is all about. We're with Ann Ligori. Uh, and let's talk about. I want to jump a little bit from golf. Uh, I do want to talk about the Ryder Cup because it's to me it's just an incredible event. So I'm I, I live for the Masters because it's around March Madness, and that my son and I are locked up. Adrian are locked up watching March Madness, and it's almost sad to get to the end. I like the beginning, you know, I like the the road there. It's sad to get to the end of a U.S. Open. It's sad. I love the journey there. I love I love all the hype that leads up to it, you know. And you're part of that hype, and you're building it up. Is it a letdown? for you when it when you when it comes to an end or are you just exhausted <laughs> i love your questions man um i'm a, yeah it's exhausting um i love the build up as, as you do I, I do a lot of research i do a lot of prep work um and then while the tournament is going on i'm on the air like all day long so i start at seven thirty in the morning doing updates for cbs sports radio network and then i do um updates at the bottom of the hour for them and then at the top of the hour for the big powerhouse WFAN here in New York. Mm -hmm. And in addition, I'm also doing a radio show on an NPR affiliate on Saturdays. And then I have a new show on WFAN that just started this past, you know, uh, the Sunday of U.S. Open Golf Week. And that's called Talking Golf with Ann Liguori. So when I cover a major golf championship, I'm in the media room in my broadcast booth watching Every ball that's hit that the network, um, the TV network is, is showing. You don't miss, um, you know, one minute of that coverage so that you can talk about, you know, anything that's going on. I mean, could you imagine if I was running outside and missed what Phil did, you know, on Saturday? I mean, that became such a big story. Right. So people think when you're covering these majors, you're running around the golf course. I'm actually in a broadcast booth watching it on TV. But um, I, wa- I walk around early in the week to, to study the golf course, to talk to the players. I get to the range, get to the putting green, try to get you know some reporting done early in the week. And um, yeah, but once it's over, I I never look back. I you love know, it. this the U.S. Open golf was exhilarating. Um, but boy, it is a little bit exhausting, and I'm ready for the next event. So, well, all right, let's talk about um, one of the next events as you switch gears. Uh, I think Phil Mickelson had a John McEnroe moment, and obviously, uh, you <laughs> cannot be serious. So, growing up playing exactly. tennis, okay. So you're gonna you're you're gonna get right into the U.S. Open in tennis. Uh, talk to me about the transition. Uh, obviously, you grew up, so you're comfortable. It's like putting on, oh, I got to tie the left shoe rather than the right shoe. I'm going golf. I'm going, I'm going tennis. Um, I love the U.S. Open tennis. I love Wimbledon. I love the French Open. I love watching Nadal when he's 11th. Uh, it's just amazing. You know, I, I grew up in the Nastasi Borg. We both did Nastasi Borg, yeah. Connors, McEnroe, uh, Lindell. Connors. Oh, Connors! That run he made the U.S. Open. That was the greatest thing ever. We're with Ann Ligori. I'm Steve Azar. You're in the Mississippi Minute. Stand by. Feeling down. Here's your prescription for a daily dose of good news and positive vibes. Good Things with Rebecca Turner. Every afternoon, Rebecca highlights all the good things happening right here in the state you call home. Daily exposure to good things with Rebecca Turner may cause smiling, feelings of positivity, happiness, and even laughter. When you experience these symptoms, tell your friends to listen. Okay. 
weekdays starting at 2 p.m. here on Super Talk Mississippi and now on Amazon Alexa devices. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. I'm Steve Azar. You're in the Mississippi Minute. And we're with Anne McGorry, incredible broadcaster, philanthropist. Talk to me about the transition when you've got to transition sports, okay? And then you've got to, is, is there anything that you have to do to prepare that gets your mind off of golf and on tennis, or is it just a nothing, it's nothing to it because you just grew up playing both of them? No, I definitely prepare. I mean, I have to follow, I follow all sports, basically, but um, mostly golf and tennis. Um, you know, I, there was a 26-year run on WFN where I did a Colin sports talk show called Hey Ligori, What's the Story? Yeah, where, <laughs> love you know, it. we talk nothing but Mets, Yankees, Jets, Giants. But hey, Ligori, what's the story? Hey, Ligori, what's the story? Won't you <laughs> yes. tell me? I want you to write a song about yeah. that. All right, that would good. be cool. Good. You, I'm sure you could come up with it pretty okay. quickly. But, um, I threw you yeah, for but, a second. You know, Go ahead. <laughs> the thing about tennis is, Steve, you know, you got all these Eastern European names now. So you really have to study pronunciation. And, um, you know, we went through a period when there weren't, you know, that many Americans dominating. And, you, you know, there were a lot of, you know, international players who were uh. making the headlines. So, but yeah, gone are the days where you'd had Connors and Astasi and uh, McEnroe, just so many great personalities in the game. And, but now look at Roger Federer. Oh, you know, no. Class act. Yeah. Incredible! I love Del Portro. I love uh, I love I love Nadal. I mean, not and, and let's talk about when you're when you're when you're about to do the U.S. Open and you see Nadal and he goes to his his little things he does. He he does his underwear left, underwear right. He does his his ears, his ears, <laughs> that his nose, drives nose. Me nuts, by the way. I mean, doesn't he get? Seems like he's going to get tired, right? He t- touches every like <laughs> it's like a, it's his ritual, but it's obviously as a great athlete. A lot of great athletes have these idiosyncrasies that are wild. Yeah, if you watch them close enough through the years, you know exactly, you know, what the routines are. It tires me out. I feel like he has to run an extra six or seven miles a day just to make <laughs> sure he can handle because that's still, he's still using energy to do that. You know, I'm sure some guys still think this, that, oh, well, tennis isn't a sport, you know, it's a sissy sport. Well, forget that. If they know anything about the game, I mean, can you imagine what your body goes through, you know, on play? I mean, just beating the ball and on hard court, you know, as as long as they train and practice on these surfaces, it's grueling yeah. in these hot temperatures. And, you know, the, these guys are just incredible athletes. And the power of the game now with their serves and their ground strokes and, and not only the men, but the women as well. I mean, you have to give these athletes a lot of credit. And then, you know, you have the women, you know, Serena Williams, you know, she gives birth. And then, you know, you come back from that. <laughs> so just coming back from a pregnancy like that to try to become, you know, the, num- the top player in the world again and to, you know, continue winning majors and to add to, you know, that legacy, that's a whole other journey. So I, I, I can't even understand that. I can't understand that. And just to be able to, to actually give birth and to, I mean, that changes, it changes a woman. It changes her life, Absolutely. but it changes her physically and mentally. And and life becomes not all about you anymore. It beca- becomes the most important thing in the world is your child, and so that's right. uh, so it's interesting that she can stay focused. And and anybody that's experienced that knows we've been with uh, the great 
and Liguori. Uh And you and I, I can't wait for our first talk show together. It will be bizarre. They'll put a muffle on me, a muzzle, a muffle, <laughs> not a muffle, a muzzle on me, and uh, maybe a sock in my mouth with duct tape around it. I don't know. My hands tied. That would be our show, the Liguori. We would have a great show. We should do that. Yeah, well. I mean, we're not done, are we? It went so fast. Yeah, no, I, I got to let you go. I'm going to let you go. Oh. I'm, I'm actually going to the wow. Grammy Museum today uh, to oh. do some stuff there at Delta State where I went to college. And uh, we have nice. on the golf course on hole number five and six now sits one of the two or three only Grammy Museums in the world. It was the second one. <clears throat> and um, and so I get the thrill of going in and working with kids and camps and, and I'm the artist in resident. And, and the funny thing is the Delta Music Institute, which is an incredible, you name it, you get it. In the in the entertainment business, uh, is sitting on our old basketball court where we had all our big intramural games. So it's but they've taken away my hoops and they've taken away my golf, but they put they filled it with music and art and I, and so I'm I'm grateful for that. So uh, I get. Well, to you are time. an incredible ambassador for Mississippi, for the music industry, for golf and sports, and and now broadcasting. And wow, what a pleasure to to be on with you and. Also, a Peak Vision ambassador, I hope. Peak hey, sunglasses. I love those we guys. Love those, we right? love them. Oh, you know, I, I know the story of the founder, Paul Moore, and I met him at, at the American Ski Classic years ago, and he talked about his tragedy, losing family, um, and then his first time to be back. Uh, and he developed this this lens. This lens is crazy. I mean, you know, everybody loves that lens because uh, I still I still wear these this certain style of them. I've never experienced anything like it. It's an amazing lens, right? There are three times the clarity of any other lens on the market. It's yeah. just um, incredible. So I'm so glad you're still wearing Peaks. I mean, they're great, great sunglasses. Are you the new spokesperson for Peaks? Yeah, well, I'm their brand ambassador. I and, love this. You know, there's a new owner, David Fieser, out of Myrtle Beach. And you can order these glasses, different styles, at peakvision.com. Right. P-E-A-K, vision.com. And, um, you know, once you put them on, You'll be sold because they really make a difference in the clarity and in your vision playing golf or any outdoor sports. And, um, you know, they're just great they lens I and love great it. style. I love it. See that you are so you and I are so connected. We didn't even know it. And uh, I can't thank you for taking the time. Uh, tell Brother Scott I said hello and uh, blessings to you guys. Steve, you're the best. I so enjoyed it. Insightful questions and we could talk forever. We Let's sure could. All right. Love you, girl. Love you, babe. I'm Steve Azar. In a Mississippi Minute, all 60 of them, where you can take your sweet time. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.